When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And we're into extra time. Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Clay Wilson. At the start of the ANZ netball premiership season, the title appeared to be the pulses to lose. The defending champs dominated the competition and recorded 10 wins in a row, while their opponents in this weekend's grand final, the Mainland Tactics, were one of many teams trying to catch them. However, the pulse have since suffered a couple of losses, including one to the Tactics, who in recent weeks have gained all the momentum. Silverfern's assistant coach Debbie Fuller played in both Christchurch and Wellington during her career and this year helped the tactics coaching team. She admits 2020 has been quite a year for the mainland side. They started off really shaky um, to have the club go into liquidation at the start of the competition I guess was a shock to to everybody involved and a shock to a lot of um, strong Cantabrian supporters to see the netball community um, in Christchurch um, just struggling to make ends meet with their um, elite team. So I guess they didn't start well, but they have certainly found their straps um, through the competition and obviously um, gaining a grand final spot for the first time ever um, is just a monumental testament to their game smarts, their willingness to go above and beyond in whatever conditions. Uh, you talked about uh, the managerial issues that they had, but they've also had on the court a couple of years of struggles. So was it sort of only way to go is up? Only way to go is up. I think they were smart with their recruitment this year. They bringing in Tapia Selby Rickett was a really positive addition to the shooting circle. And just being able to bring Erica Pedersen back from injury so strongly brings her experience, her vision, and she plays the space of the ball beautifully as an attacker. So having that, and also having Timalisi Fakahokato come back from injury. So last year they had a few injuries and they were missing a dominant goal attack and they went about this year making sure that history wasn't going to repeat itself and so um, the credit has to go to the recruitment and the work behind the scenes by the physio and strength and conditioners to get that team in a position where they are now. It's a little bit, it it sort of follows the uh, pulse in recent years as well, in a way, because they had their struggles and they're slowly built up. You know, can you see some comparisons there to what the two franchises have done? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, the pulse brought in uh, Aaliyah Dunn a couple of years ago, who's an accurate shooter. Um, and they've topped up their defence this year with Kelly Jury. So, again, they're the teams that are constantly looking for ways to strengthen the the core of the playing group are usually teams that have success. I think it takes a long time for teams to build and build and build. So... Um, Pulse, you know, had many years of struggling and then won it for the first time last year. So uh, 
I guess it also shows how hard it is to win. So you've played for both. You probably have a bit of a you know feeling for both. The Pulse have had a couple of losses just in recent weeks. So is that a sign of anything? Um, I think it's just a sign they've had a couple of injuries um, in their camp and illness. I think it's a sign of the fact that they are definitely sharpening their, sharpening their sword going into the finals. Look, with the depth of experience they've got in their ranks with Katrina Rode and Amelia Annie Canasio and Claire Kirsten in the middle who's been a stalwart for the Pulse and a, an absolute, um, has one of the highest working rates in the competition. They are, It's sometimes it's good to have those losses to really assess where you know where you go wrong and how you can get yourself out of trouble so I actually think um, for them and Yvette's a really smart coach and she she strategically knows what her girls can give on game day so I don't see it as a back step I see it as um, just you know just getting a a new feel for the lay of the land Um, under all conditions they're going to perform. And that was Silver Ferns assistant coach Debbie Fuller there talking to Barry Guy. Well, joining me now to discuss Sunday's grand final in this year's ANZ Premiership in general are RNZ reporter Bridget Tunnicliffe, locker room writer Suzanne McFadden, Brendan Egan from Stuff, and also with us former Silver Fern Belinda Colling. Suzanne, I'll come to you first. This final is quite an intriguing matchup, isn't it? Because when you look at how dominant the Pulse were throughout the season, but then you're balancing that against that loss to the Tactics last time out as well. Yeah, and like you said, you know, it's momentum is going to be um, quite important in this final, I think. You know, the Tactics won the last game of the rounds um, against the Pulse by seven goals. And admittedly, the Pulse didn't have Amelia Anacanasio and Maddie Gordon, who have been two of their main... um, I was going to say two of their main players, but really... That, that Pulse side is just incredible, so full of talent. Um, but I think that my my feeling is that every team has to lose a grand final to win a grand final. And as much as the tactics are on a roll, I think the Pulse has all the experience of final snapball and that's going to be really important in, in closing that out. Belinda, I'll come to you and thanks for joining us on, on the podcast a sense maybe that the Pulse may have run out of puff in a way, or they may not have, as Suzanne alluded to there. Have they run out of puff, or have they simply just backed it off a bit since they were already guaranteed that spot in the final? I wouldn't say they've run out of puff at all, I think. Yeah, they knew they, were, they already had secured their place in that last outing, and um, as Susan's already said, uh, Gordon uh, and Ikanasio, two of their key playmakers, sat out that match. So, uh, yeah, I think they are going to be the team um, to beat um, on Sunday. And I think they have just been so classy all year, have been so clinical. And, uh, you know, I think they've been there before, got the upper hand with regards to experience. It's it's theirs to lose, really. Uh, They've just got experience right throughout the court. um, And they should have confidence... um, and the combination that's been really stable for them as well. Well, Brendan, looking at the tactics, you're down there in Christchurch. It has been a tough year for all the teams, but them especially. How has that motivated them to get themselves into this final? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously they've had to come uh, overcome a lot of adversity this year. You know, Netball mainland went into liquidation um, back in April, which is um, very tough. And um, they've had to do a lot of flying. They've only had one home game this season. They've had to make uh, 11 trips. And um, counting the final, they will have made 20 flights, which is right up there. So um, I think that, you know, the tactics team has really thrived off that adversity. You know, you look at the group and uh, the players are a very tight-knit bunch on and off the court. Um, you know, same with the coach. They really adore Mary and Delaney Hojek has done a fantastic job. And... Um, I think, you know, you watch it in their play, they do seem to really um, rally and it's been a few games where they've sort of, in that fourth quarter, they've really uh, stepped up and um, done really well. So I think um, it has been to the team to care for those tough times and um, I think the tactics, you know, it's going to be a close final on Sunday, but like Suzanne and Belinda said, I think the Pulse will win a close one. Bridget, are they the surprise package of the season getting into this final? Not, not really. I mean, when you look at the, um, when you look at um, them on paper, they've got some really strong uh, players, and they added to Pius Ricca, obviously, to that goal attack position, which has been a bit of an Achilles heel for them this year. So, I think they were kind of expected to do well, but uh, when you throw into the mix, you know, the travelling they've had to do, and and the the support staff they've lost have still done um, extremely well. Um, I would say on balance, the Pulse are the favourites, but at the same time, I wouldn't be that surprised if um, the tactics pulled off an upset. Um, things are just coming together really nicely for them from the get-go on defence. They were getting a lot of turnover ball. Then the combination between Ellie Bird and Tapia Subby Rickett really started to gel. In the last few weeks, we've seen the middies really connect well with the attackers. So that can be quite a powerful thing, powerful thing when a team can see those tangible improvements across the season. So they've got that really good momentum. But, uh, yeah, I, I would still say Pulse favourites. Let's look at some predictions <laughs> here. Belinda, I'll, I'll come to you. You mentioned how you think this Pulse team is still very much the favourites. What are your expectations for how this final plays out? Yeah, look, I, I, I don't think, want to take anything away from the tactics. I think they really deserve to be there, particularly the latter part of the season, as we've talked about, their momentum and what they're putting out on court. Um, they really started to gel well and deliver. They've got some great talent in there. Uh, so I, I think they will, you know, show up to contest and um, I'm hoping for a good game. I think that their attack are really going to need to bring it. Um, I think we know that Whakakotel and Watson will get ball defensively, uh, but that midcourt need to be able to get the ball into their shooters' hands uh, and it's got to be a big game from Selby Rickett. Uh, that team really need her to have the ball in her hands and, and turning to the hoop um, if they're really going to challenge the pulse. So for me, that's a key aspect of their play, um, their game that needs to front on Sunday. Uh, and, yeah, if, if that is fronting, I think we'll have a, a, a good match. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, the Selby Rickett will be a key for the tactics. And Katrina Rodia, she's... Um, you know, she's ultra fit and she will try and ride, ride Selby Rickett, do the man-on-man -man for 48 minutes. So, how, uh, you know, it'll be a big job for Selby Rickett to try and withstand that. Um, but, yeah, that, the, uh, yeah, I agree. The, the tactics shooting end are a key for them. Suzanne, Brendan, anyone willing to pick the tactics? No, <laughs> Silence. No, uh... <laughs> yeah, pulse for me probably by two. Um, and I think one of the factors that we've got to look at is this is the last game for Yvette McCausland Jury as coach of the Pulse, and we know that teams can turn it on when when they really want to give this victory to somebody. And I think that that will be one of the things that really pushes the Pulse on Sunday. 
Okay. Well, let's look back at the competition as a whole. It has been a funny one. We obviously had one round prior to that first lockdown. We had six rounds with all the matches up here in Auckland, two rounds of home matches, and then we had to have that final round cancelled. What would be your overall assessment of the competition? Perhaps, Bridget, I'll come to you on this first. Um, oh, I think it's been really good quality. Um, the players um, seemed a little bit fitter this year. Um, and I really love the fact that we've had lots of close games. Um, I don't know what the stats are like compared to last year, but I, I would be sure that um, the, goal, the goal difference between the teams um, has been a lot tighter this year. We've had a couple of draws. Um, yes, I think overall it's been really good. Brendan? Yeah, it's been fantastic to see um, just uh, some of these young players come through for me. Um, you look over in the uh, Suncorp Super Netball, and I know they get a lot of um, talk about you know the imports over there and it being the best competition in the world, but I feel that the uh, ANZ Premiership, with the New Zealand players all getting their game time, we've seen some young players come through, and um, it's man, I, I really pity these selectors. I mean, they're not going to have an easy time over the next few days um, signing up on those last spots. So we've been to some really, really strong competition, especially in that midcourt, and um, I feel that the ANZ Premiership and um, a lot of these young players stepping up is really going to pose some questions around that. I guess looking at the the Auckland teams, they obviously had those all those home matches up up here. Belinda, do you think they'll be disappointed not to have at least one team in the final, given whatever advantages they got out of having a lot of those home games? Yeah, well, clearly, uh, possibly wasn't it so much advantage and the largest pool, you know, population wise of um, to pick from, I guess, the Auckland region. Uh, yeah, of course they'll be disappointed. But, you know, Mystics were right up there, and I think that's some of the best we've seen of mm. the Mystics. So I think that was really exciting and good to see some development in that team. Um, and, yeah, the Stars, you know, they, they really put some great stuff out on court at times as well, but consistency for them, um, you know, really showed probably. Um, but, yeah, of course, uh, particularly the Mystics will be disappointed not to be there. And, Suzanne, just looking at the style of netball we saw. Do you think the lockdown and being under lockdown, we saw the, the Super Rugby competition and, and how open and fast that was. Do you think it had an effect on what we saw in the ANZ Premiership? I think it had a huge effect, Clay. And I think, um, you know, that time that they had in lockdown, training on their own, but training really hard. Um, most of the players were fitter than I've seen them for a very long time, some of them fitter than we've ever seen them. And um, I also love the 12-minute quarters. I know that they were just there for this competition because of the situation. But um, like Bridget said, we saw some really close games in this in this league. And, yeah, I just love the netball and loved watching the netballers. It's been a great season. OK, well, the competition, of course, as we've touched on, is going to have implications for Silver Fern selection with the, the new national squad due to be announced next week. Around 16 to 18 players expected to be announced. So let's have some predictions and a, f- and a few musings on what we might see. Brendan, I'll come to you first. What sort of squad do you see Nolene Toto going with here? I think Nolene, she said it before, you know, I think she'll stay pretty loyal to the squad that she's, um, some of the players that she's had, obviously, from that triumphant World Cup team last year, Constellation Cup and then Nations Cup, where um, without some of those big names, the Silver Ferns were so impressive over there in England. Um, I don't think there'll be too many surprises. Obviously, um, the big one will be with Timalesi Fokahokata. Obviously, um, you know, I'd have her in my team, but there has been a bit of talk about her fitness and uh, 
you know, Nolene, obviously, at the moment, you know, fitness, strength and conditioning, the yo-yo test is absolutely important. So a couple of tactics players, we're doing a yo-yo test this week. So it'll be interesting to see, I guess, whether Fokker Hogtower has met the conditioning standards. Um, that'll be the big one, whether, you know, if, if she's not in the, the main squad, that'll be the reason why. Bridget? Any thoughts on what you might see? You'd... Yeah, um, I think so far Nolene has been pretty conservative um, since being the Silver Ferns coach with her selection. So I think um, I think all the um, main incumbents are safe. Um, I think um, for me the midcourt was the hardest to pick. Um, there are so many options there. Um, I'll just you know I've gone um, I picked five for each third, and with the midcourt I've gone for. Gina Crampton, Shannon Saunders, Laura Langman, um, the incumbents, and I would add uh, Maddie Gordon into the mix um, um, as the other option at wing attack. And I think she's by far is the strongest defender as a wing attack, and that's pretty important now. She's the full package. Um, then, fight, and then picking another one was really tough. Um, I've actually gone for Sam Winders. I think she's had a fantastic season, and we've seen in three or four games she picked up uh, turnovers in the dying seconds of the games for her team and that's for me a really good sign of an X-Factor player and she's a brilliant uh, she's just as good at centre as she is at wing defence and I quite like having a shorter option at wing defence because sometimes the taller wing defenders they can get beaten for speed a little bit so it's quite good to have a shorter option that's my that's my mid-call, that's the hardest I thought that I'd get that out of the way <laughs> Belinda, do you have any thoughts, I mean agree, disagree with what's been brought up so far, do you see them going for anyone particularly different? Yeah, no, I think um, Nolan was, you know, really emphasises the fitness standards. So mm. I guess we're not privy to who's who's meeting <laughs> that or not. Um, so yeah, uh, Faka Hokatau, look, she needs to be there. So hopefully, if she's not there, she's not far off it. And because um, and you know, I think the next uh, defenders to come in outside jury, Rory Grant. Um, Sulu in there, you know, I, I would be unsure who else they would put in there. Uh, the midcourt, look, there's about 10 players that you could throw in there. There's all these exciting young ones, Earl, um, Toyaba, although she probably doesn't call herself that young, um, who I think are just so special. Um, but I think she'll go, as everyone said, with her tried and true, Saunders and, and Crampton. Langman, if Langman's going to come back, we, we don't know that yet, do we? Um, I, I think uh, Burger, I would probably put in ahead of Winders. I think this year she's really impressed me. Um, and I think, yeah, there's one space left in there. I would think Maddie Gordon would get it uh, over Poi, but either of those two could be an option in there. But lots of excitement and options in the midcourt. Shooting end, again, there's a couple of spots in there. Ekinacio's been awesome this season. Selby Rickett will get in there. Um, I'd love to see Wiki. Um, be brought in, but again, fitness standards, um, or do they think she's quite ready yet? Um, there's a, a little bit of a lacking um, in the next sort of level of goal attacks coming through. Or there's a, you know, it would be interesting to see who they see after Selby Rickett and Ekanasio as the, the next one. Um, Faulkner's a name, I'm not sure where she's at with, with her comeback um, from injury. So, yeah, seeing her thereabouts. Um, and either and perhaps that development level would be good to see as well. Um, you're just conscious the goal attacks. We need to see some of them coming through. Uh, and yeah, Dunn and Wilson also in the shooting circle have had, have had good seasons. Suzanne Belinda touched on I, the fitness standards yeah. thing. There is that going to pl- play a big part? It does make it interesting, doesn't it? When we we don't really know who's meeting them or, or not. 
yeah, that's right. We don't even know who they're going to get to play against this season. But um, I would really like to see Wiki in there. You know, Taro has said that she wants to get as many players in the black dress in the next two years. I think this is the opportunity to introduce Wiki. I know she's still young. I know she's got work to do on her fitness. But what a what a brilliant time to introduce a young player. Um, I definitely think Alia Dunn should be there now. I think her fitness should be at the level that's expected. Uh, and, yeah, in that mid-court, of course, that's really, really difficult. Um, I would have Poi in there, Gordon in there. And, yeah, the big question is, will Langman come back? Um, we don't know that yet, so that's going to be really interesting. And in defence, uh, Sulu Fitzpatrick and Kelly Jury to come back for me. OK, well, a couple of big things to look forward to, obviously, with that selection and, of course, Sunday's final. But thank you all for taking the time to join me and, yeah, enjoy Sunday's final and, and sit back and relax and see who's going to take out this title. Thanks. Finally this week, more than 300,000 people watched on from the stands when Scott Dixon was victorious in one of World Motorsport's three premier races in 2008. But if the Kiwi driver is to win a second Indianapolis 500 title this year, those very same stands will stand deserted. The ongoing COVID-19 pandemic has forced officials to exclude fans from this year's event. I caught up with Scott Dixon ahead of Monday morning's race, and the five-time IndyCar champ admitted the almost two-week-long build-up had been very different than usual. It's normally the month of May, and now we're, uh, we're, we're starting the Indianapolis 500 in August, so that's a big change. But uh, the city of Indianapolis is, kind of feels a bit normal in, in the fact, you know, there's chequered flags and you know, signs and all that kind of stuff out on people's front lawns and, and you know, they're embracing it. But obviously the sheer size of this venue that seats over 300,000 people with nobody in the seats looks, you know, drastically different. So it's definitely a different lead up. But what's normal right now, I think that's the toughest part. What are the restrictions like for you guys on track? How much different is it in terms of the, the normal things you go about? Yeah, there's no real interaction, you know. Um, the track is shut down totally. Just, uh, you know, essential personnel as far as the teams. Each entrant, I think, is allowed up to 20 people per car. You know, even the way we do the trucks, typically we would have, you know, 60 to 80 people with three cars. And, you know, all our trucks kind of line up together with, you know, six or seven of them. Whereas now we're only allowed five people in each truck. You know, everybody's got to wear face coverings. The health checks are done every day. You have rapid testing sites on in the actual circuit if need be. So the restrictions are, are pretty tight. Even typical team deep are so they're kind of the toughest. You know, you either have to be in a very big room where you can accommodate, you know, more people that are social distance. And then you're even in between screens and, and cubes at that point. You know, so a lot of it has done, been done virtually, whether it's team meetings or, or even engineering meetings. So it's kind of hard to have that personal touch and even the same with, you know, travel for us or food or, you know, it's very contained. You've raced in front of a few empty tracks already, but this race is so well known for that atmosphere created by that crowd. What are you expecting it to be like on race day without anyone in the stands? Yeah, it's going to be pretty dramatic. There's no circuit, I think, or really any venue that goes through this transformation, I think, from weeks leading up. Even when we have qualifying, we typically have 80 to 100,000 people and it looks kind of empty, you know. So to have absolutely nobody is going to look very, very surreal and a bit strange. But, you know, the end result is the same thing, right? You know, as you commented, we've had 
several races already this year, you know, it did feel oddly strange to be in victory lane and celebrating and it's just really yourself and maybe one other person, you know, trying to you know, spray champagne. And just in terms of the race, obviously starting from second looks pretty good, but in such a long and tough race, how much difference does it make to be at the front of the grid? Yeah, there's there's a couple of big things about it. I think, in all honesty, you kind of want to have a boring day. You kind of want to have no trouble. You don't want to be caught in anything. And, and you know, I think when you qualify, like last year, I think it was my worst qualifying position ever for the 518th. And you just open yourself up to people making mistakes or courting an effect to, you know, pit selection. You know, uh, when you get into the meat of the pack, especially on pit road, you know, Indianapolis pit lanes, it's also very narrow. And when you get two cars side by side and you try to add a third, it's, it's almost impossible. And we've seen many times in the past that has taken, you know, clear race winners or people that could fight for a race win out of the race. So, yeah, if you can start near the front, that's where you want to be, man. Yeah, just on that, I mean, you're obviously desperate to win this race every year. But with every year that goes past that you don't win it again, does that grow just a little bit more? Yeah, the drive to get a first win here is is immense. Um, But then, you know, the feeling and gratification and, and, you know, almost relief that you get from, from winning it, being on that short list of less than you know 70 people that have ever had you know the opportunity to win but it, it, it's just like a driving force that keeps pushing you forward and and yeah I'm, I'm probably more towards the end of racing at the Indy 500 than than I was at the start of it so definitely each year just builds on each other. Scott Dixon there speaking ahead of this year's Indy 500 which starts at 6.30 Monday morning New Zealand time. And that's everything for this week's edition of Extra Time. Thanks to our expert panel for their thoughts on Sunday's ANZ Premiership Netball Decider. For all the latest in sport, don't forget to check us out on the web at rnz.co.nz forward slash sport. Thanks for tuning in and bye for now. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.